0: Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health.
1: Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back. This is the Breaking Health Podcast. This will be a Steve Krupa free zone this week. Steve Krupa has the week off. Uh, But he'll be back next week with a terrific interview. I had my own very high-quality interview with Nancy Brown. Those of you who know Nancy, she's a partner at Oak HCFT. She has sat on uh, every side of the table in healthcare. She's a startup entrepreneur. She moved over to uh, the corporate side for a while, and now she's uh, serving at uh, one of the premier venture firms in healthcare. We talked uh, a little bit ago, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, you'll hear some references in this interview about Athena and its CEO, Jonathan Bush. And uh, this uh, interview was done prior to the news that uh, Jonathan Bush would be stepping down. Also, we talked a bit about Aspire. And this was before Anthem agreed to acquire the company. So a lot's going on. Nancy must have been very busy when she uh, did this interview. So I appreciate her taking the time to talk to me. But uh, we were able to talk uh, about her career about uh, her work at startups at the uh, corporate level and now in the venture world. Uh, Nancy's really a lot of fun to talk to, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Before I let you go, don't forget the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit will be happening on October 11th in Boston. Go to dhis.net to register. Now let's get into this conversation with Nancy Brown of Oak HCFT. (laughs) Well, Nancy Brown, welcome to the podcast. Well,
0: Tom, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, let's get into your into your background because you do have a great story and uh, you you've have sat on both sides of, of the table with the startup and the strategic side. But take me back to the very beginning. Uh, I see you went to UNH and you got a, a degree in zoology. So how did that uh, land you where you are today? <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's very funny. I think probably we're both at the age where people come to us and talk to us about what we've done with our lives. And, and I love to tell all of my young Harvard Business School friends that I laid out my career. Just It was very strategic. Every single move <laughs> was defined. Um, but that is, that is, in fact, not true. Um, it's a lot of mosaic dots that now when put together look like it was a pattern. But I yes, I started out at UNH and I was going to be a veterinarian. Uh, And I uh, had the grades get into med school and to dental school, but not vet school. And that led me (laughs) that led me down um, a path of doing clinical research. So I actually published one paper, which I'm proud of still all these years later uh, in oncology. And I began to notice when I was doing uh, clinical research that I was an okay researcher, but a really, really good organizer of the researchers, of the doctors and of of their affiliates and and all of the constituents, and so that, uh, to make a very long story short, eventually led me into business school, not vet school, which was a huge disappointment to my family. Um, (laughs) I didn't really know what business school meant. Um, You came from a a long line of vets, did you? I came from a long line of, of, yes, of vets, yes, no, (laughs) sadly, no, engineers, and other people who didn't think business was a real discipline, so (laughs) I I ended up uh, in business school, and um, always knowing that I would apply to healthcare.
1: That's great. It's a uh, it's a tough business of that business. So, how many pets do you have? I'm curious. You must love animals. So,
0: I do. I have. I I have. So I'm now situ- situationally impaired around the pet situation because I've got the, I've got a rental house. But right. um, but I've had as many of, uh, I've had as many of as four dogs, uh, maybe five <laughs> at a time. So, yeah, I I have a little Ellie Mae it in me. I might uh, I might I might go rogue. You know, in my later years on on a farm somewhere. So. Yeah, just, I do just, miss having my
1: animals. You mentioned early on you were on the startup front, and uh, reading your bio, and I, I'm going to mispronounce it, but I remember writing about uh, Abaton.com. Uh, was is it was it about Abaton or is it Abaten? How would I pronounce? How did I pronounce
0: it? No, it's Abaton. Yay! Perfect. Yeah, even re- yeah, reading your your Greek culture, that's excellent.
1: Yeah. So uh, so how did that? Uh, how did you move? You went from the Gardner Group to that as a co-founder, correct? How did that opportunity come about?
0: Yeah, so I'll go, I'll go back just because, um, because, because since you're interviewing me, you have to hear my whole boring story. But, um, why we're so here. my, <laughs> my love when I got out of business school, I knew I was going to go to Harvard Community Health Plan for people who don't know what that is. It's a staff model HMO or was a staff model HMO here in Boston, very similar to Kaiser. And I specifically picked that because it was the most interesting healthcare delivery organization, um, in, in the country, in my opinion never occurred to me to go to a hospital or doctor's office because there was no innovation there. And I went to Harvard community and I ran clinics during the day. And at night we did process reengineering. So we were applying principles that were applied to the auto industry to clinical care. So the um, so ideas that people think are new are certainly not new. We had folks who sat in a room and did analytics all day on all of our clinical data and would tell us areas where there was a lot of spend. Um, and we would then bring together the clinical leaders, uh, whether it was hip replacements, we'd bring together orthopedic surgeons and we'd look at the process and we we would redesign these processes. And we had, at the end of the day, uh, processes that, if applied properly, would get you to the ultimate cost quality outcome. The issue was it was really hard to apply processes consistently, even though we were bringing patients into our own clinics because we back then did not have technology at the point of service. Epic was a scheduling system, Turner was a lab system, there was no internet in the home, and so we sought to create the first ever point of care EMR in a joint venture between Harvard Community Health Plan and EDS, and that was my path to, to transition from clinical care delivery to technology. Um, and I eventually um, went to, I did a little little bit of time at Gartner Group, but then uh, was waiting for a team of folks who were really all embedded inside of United Healthcare at the time to spin out um, and start a new company, Abaton.com, which was in 1997 first use of web-based technology to deliver clinical data at the point of service. And that was a super exciting time. I moved from Boston to Minneapolis. Um, where I heard it was a dry cold, they, I believe that, and, <laughs> and, and followed them, <laughs> and uh, and that was uh, my my entry into becoming an entrepreneur.
1: Fascinating. So, and that was uh, one of the ventures at the time that went well. You were you were acquired by McKesson. Uh, did you intend to stay at McKesson for as long as you did at that acquisition, or did you feel like you're going to go back into the into another startup?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, people are, in fact, surprised that I stayed as long as I did. So I, but um, so yes, we were acquired by McKesson very quickly. I think we were about 18 months old, and it was a it was a great um, a great deal for everyone involved. So we were the we were um, uh, we, we had a minimal amount of revenue, about 300 thousand, it's about six million dollars in on the venture side, and wow. sold for 120 million, and it was a, a point in time and. I did not intend to stay at McKesson. The, the asset quickly became um, integrated into an, a broader group, and I was leaving. And I was, um, this is more detail than you'd ever need for your podcast, but I was 41 weeks pregnant. Anyone who follows that would be knowing that's a week over
1: the allotted <laughs> time,
0: and it was my only child. And I got a call from, um, from one of the executives at McKesson who said, you know, instead of leaving, why don't you stay? And you can move to Atlanta and run either strategy or, or marketing, which were both very large departments for the healthcare IT division. And I had never done either. And so I found it remarkable that they wanted me to do that. And I, in fact, then moved to Atlanta, um, 21 days later, um, and, uh, and, uh, and headed up marketing for McKesson
1: so minneapolis to atlanta right yeah that's, that's quite a chance. <laughs> it was
0: all part of my strategy to get to boston and feel like the weather was moderate
1: so <laughs> the coldest and the hottest great yeah. great strategy see you did have it all planned out so what was that experience like uh running running that department at mckesson uh, what did you uh what lessons did you walk away with
0: i love this question because um it's all part of the puzzle so uh, and I often say to my going back to my my young Harvard Business School students who stopped by my office a lot. I say, you know, you often don't know what it is that's important about your experience until you're a couple steps away from it. So so this was hugely important. McKesson at the time was the largest healthcare IT company in the world. And it's pretty important if you're in in, in an industry to understand what that machine looks like. Like, how does that work? You know, how do they bring products to market? How do they sell? How do they, how do they, how do they um, service? Uh, What's important to them? What's the cadence of the business? So I had never been in a company like this, and I having marketing was this fantastic job. We had about 85 products, I think, at the time, and I learned a tremendous amount about about successfully bringing products to market and serving clients. And so I discovered a whole nother podcast we can do on this, I discovered that for um, the majority of these products, all of the ingredients that were required to be successful, meaning a product that had a market, a product that had proper pricing, you know, a product that you could actually see working successfully, that at any given moment, these were not all aligned. So we were going into market with some deficits. And because of the fragmentation of managing this process, it was, no one could actually see that. So one of the things I was able to do was just put a real lens on it and be able to create these scorecards so that we would not bring products to market that didn't have all the support they needed, et cetera. So I learned about growth. I learned about selling, marketing, um, tools, positioning, all of those things, which became absolutely critical to my, to my jobs um, uh, afterwards.
1: I bet. You know, that, that would uh, be the kind of lessons that carry over from experience to experience. So your plan worked. You, you found a way back to the Boston area, correct, with uh, Athena Health? As a senior, I did. senior vice president of business development. What was that? Uh, this was in 2004. What was, it, what was Athena Health like then? I mean, it certainly has quite an aura around it now, thanks, you know, at least partly to its uh, dynamic CEO, but also what it's been able to accomplish as a company. What was the Athena Health experience like?
0: Uh it was so I knew Jonathan. Uh Jonathan and I both started I started Abaton. dot com the same year that Jonathan right. started Athena and we were the self described cool kids. So we <laughs> were always uh we, <laughs> I think Jeff Arnold was in there somewhere. There was a whole bunch of us that used to show up at these dot com things. Um so I it's my um one of my favorite companies, if not my favorite. Um, and, uh, I always observed the company from, um, actually not from a distance. I used to go in and see Jonathan every year, but he was a, it was a revenue cycle management company and I'm, I'm more clinically oriented. So Jonathan saw me right before I joined him and said, you know, we're going to move on to our second product and, um, we want you to come and build it. So even though my, my, the last job I had was senior vice president of business development, my first job was um, heading up the introduction of a clinical product. Uh-huh. And that was, that's again, another, we'll tee that up for another podcast, which is, you know, what it's like to build a second product in a very, very successful company. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of things to be learned there, but I got that product, um, Athena clinicals to market. Um, as soon as things become commercial and kind of moving along, I tend to, to get bored and want to move on to something else. So I did become the first head of, of, um, business development, And it was a combination job. I owned all clients that were not um, group practices, so enterprise, large enterprise, academic medical centers, and the retailers, which we started this conversation with. So that's where I built my relationships with Walmart and Target and uh, Walgreens and others, uh, was owning those relationships for Athena and then all the payer relationships. Um, So it was phenomenal. it was, um, I was there three years before the IPO and three years after. Oh, so wow. the level of, of pressure on us to get to where we needed to go before that IPO was tremendous. Um, and the model is, uh, is literally the best model, uh, which is this combination of, of tech and services, uh, which is similar to everything we invest in now at Oak. Mm-hmm. So um, tremendous experience, smaller, much smaller, and um, running, running hard every minute every minute counted. So, And in fact, just to connect dots, that's where I met Annie Lamont, who leads my firm. So she was uh, on our board. Um, so I sat between her and Brian Roberts at Benrock uh, for six years uh, through all those times.
1: Just I'm curious. So, so were you and Jonathan classmates at Harvard and then went off to start your two companies?
0: Uh, no, actually, we did not. I did not go to Harvard. I went to Northeastern, oh, I'm um, sorry. which I'm yeah. very proud of. <laughs> I <you> should be. <laughs> um yeah, I, I, except for I do I do reference Harvard more because I, I I sadly spend more time I think with Harvard <laughs> school students than Northeastern. Um, but it was great. Yes, yeah, no, we were not. But I, I I feel like I could have been because I feel like I spend so much time with uh, all of his all of his section mates.
1: Well, I went to Boston University, so congratulations on your bean pot victory this year. That was uh, quite so exciting. Second. Thank you. <laughs> the last time you won, I was a freshman at, at BU, and I was at the garden when they when they you, beat, you defeated the Terriers. So. Good for you.
0: No, it's nice to say, yeah, Northeastern wind, win.
1: <laughs> so I, I'm curious, though. Then looking back at the Athena experience, what it became, and looking back at your own experience with Abaton, clearly that was a success financially. But do you ever have any regrets that you weren't able to take that company and, and grow it into something larger?
0: Um, regrets? I don't know. I mean, I think it will. I, 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 it's a company I think about every day because the potential is enormous, and I don't think the story is done by any stretch and. And it's funny when you said that to me, I'm thinking, well, what do you mean I am doing that? I, I'm still very close to the company, uh, <laughs> uh, very close to Jonathan. No, He's I'm back. sorry. I mean, Abaton. So close.
1: Going back to Abaton, I mean.
0: Oh, you're going back to Abaton? Yeah, do you? I, mean, oh, it, I thought you were talking about Athena. No, I was like, no. Athena turned out pretty well. No, it turned out okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no, Abaton, I'm sorry. Oh, my question Abaton, wasn't clear. Yeah. You know, you had a company, it was your baby, yeah. <clears> and it was a great success for everyone involved. So obviously, regrets is probably too strong. But do you, was part of you wish Yeah, I wish I could have turned that into. A publicly traded company?
0: Um, you know, I mean to be to completely honest, no. <laughs> no. I mean, do I wish there was a <laughs> I feel like Athena was my company that I did that with. I think Avaton was a platform. And I don't think so. This is something, you know, this gets to like investment thesis, right? So I think that when I when we look at companies all the time, we're like, is it going to be, you know, is it a feature? You know, is it a platform? You know, is it is it a new market segment? And I think that Abaton, you know, if I look back now, was really a, a technology platform, and it needed to be surrounded by more. And so I'm not sure, being truthful at at that period of time, with everything going on in the market, whether we could have done that. So um, there's a difference between do I have a desire to get something from a starting point to public? Sure, who doesn't? That's super exciting. But was that the asset to, to, to that that really belonged in an IPO? probably probably not. I think it really it really landed where it needed to land, which was um, in a big corporation that had a growth engine that could then make sure it got distributed to lots of clients.
1: excellent so you were you were with Athena until three years after the IPO. What happened at uh, at that point?
0: Um, I decided to so. So six years at Athena during that period is like is like dog years, meaning just they were very very intense years, not bad years, just intense years. And so, and uh, they were going on to, on to their next stage of growth, and um, I was ready to uh, to move on. And so I um, went to a company called Medventive, um, which was focused, which uh, yeah, which is focused on um, population analytics. So this was the point that ACOs started to come back into discussion and people were, uh, would call me, um, and they would say, wow, you're relevant again. Like people really care about all the (laughs) stuff you did back at your staff model. You know, now this is all about taking on risk and managing populations. And it's in that category of, you know, compliment insult, not sure which one it was, but I was happy to be relevant again and super excited that these, (laughs) that these principles that we were applying at, um, you know, at Harvard Community Health Plan, we're now going to be applied to other organizations. So I joined MedVentive uh, to to go on that journey with um with our fifty or so clients that we had in the in that space.
1: And that ended in a familiar that followed a familiar pattern, where you acquired by McKesson again. Yes, um, <laughs> yes, we we're <laughs> well, start taking it, personally, it I think. I,
0: I, yeah, I know, I know, I um. So I, I was pretty sure we'd be acquired when I joined. It was a very popular product and one that was um, actually it was, it was being distributed by McKesson. So to the point of McKesson's strength, um, this is now the payer group. And the, uh, a lot of people don't realize now it's change health, but McKesson has tremendous strength in the payer space and um, tremendous relationships. And so they were distributing our product. Um, and then we also were doing some things with other strategics. So. Um, yeah, so we ended up um, being acquired and um, and then I ended up going back briefly to to McKesson um, in uh, working with the strategy team in San Francisco for about eighteen months and that was the point at which I began to think about venture because part of that work uh, was to think about the creation of a, a strategic venture group at McKesson and in the context of that, I was um, uh, contemplating instead of going back into another startup, that I would um, do venture for a bit, and so that is when my mind opened to it. And actually, uh, about the same time that I heard from Annie that she was starting a new company.
1: Well, that was great. So, so what what was it about becoming a venture capitalist or, or an investor did you find appealing?
0: So, a couple things, and I'm pretty transparent about this. Um, I. I had a number of things going on, um, and I was going to shift from um, have a shift in my in my life. So I was going to be a full-time single parent to Mm -hmm. my to my daughter, and so I purposely looked for um, not a job that has less work, but a job that would have uh, an ability to balance a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I have no ability to compartmentalize when I am the operator of a company, so I felt like this would be a great way to in this really incredibly changing market uh, with so many people coming into uh, the the venture and entrepreneurial side. This would be a great perch for me to be able to not only see the one thing that I focused on, but to see many, many things and to understand how the market is trending um, and that I could contribute to, uh, to the entrepreneurs in maybe ways that were a little bit different than what other venture capitalists could do. So, so what turned, what started in the beginning as a way to manage all that, has now four years later. We're almost at my four-year anniversary of joining Oak. Has now turned into um, the way I'll spend the rest of my career. So this is a crazy good job, as I like to say, just absolutely, absolutely. amazing. Um, in that I get to talk to um, the best and the brightest every day. Um, I probably see five. Or so, five to six, maybe net new companies uh, a week, or talk to them on the phone. And I learned something new um, just about every one of those phone calls about how people are viewing the market, and uh, just have a tremendous ability to share some of the, the experience that I've had with, um, with the entrepreneurs when they want it.
1: So this is a kind of a typical question for a VC, but what type of companies are you looking for specifically? What, what are the qualities of a company that you would, uh, you would like to invest in?
0: Yeah. So we have, um, so this is a, this is also one of my favorite topics. Cause besides meeting with Harvard business school kids, I meet with a lot of folks who want to join venture firms. And I sometimes think they don't realize how different they are. Like each venture firm is very, very different. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, investment thesis stage of company. And so I am absolutely in my sweet spot, which is we are all about companies that are applying technology and services uh, to healthcare to get to a cost and quality outcome. And so we're not doing security. We're not doing pure tech. We're not doing roll-ups of uh, sort of uninspired service companies to just get to something bigger and, and, and sell it. We are uh, finding market problems that are undeniable as we started the conversation with um, and, um, and teams that have a point of view about what the clinical process should be that gets applied, that gets you to the outcome and have then figured out how to lift and shift that process consistently uh, to a market that's, that's got, um, you know, tremendous scale uh, scaling ability. Examples So, in our portfolio, um, Aspire uh, is our palliative company. This is probably, um, it's not the only example, but it's one of the best. So, end of life care is not a partisan issue. No one denies that finding folks at the end of life and putting them into a process that allows them to have quality and dignity and um, allows them to stay home with family is, um, there's no denial that that is the way to go. The question is, how do you take that? Type of service and scale it across the United States, which is what my uh, one of our companies, Aspire Health, out of Nashville, has done very successfully. Um, we have these, and so so this is really so our our we're very opportunity driven. We're looking for these um, undeniable pain points, and we find them. Um, sometimes we have to we have to build them ourselves. Sometimes we seed someone who already has an idea, and sometimes we find a growth company. But we will do everything from seed to buyout. Um, it's really based on the opportunity, and that's a little unusual uh, for for a venture firm.
1: Absolutely, no. It's uh, you guys have done some fantastic work of late, i You were uh, you were involved in the the, the late nineties that that kind of e health boom, whatever we want to call it. Now you, you we've yes. seen the investment over the last three or four years in, in digital health or whatever we're calling this now. Can you compare and contrast the the two errors? Uh, the similarities would be that there's a lot of dollars going into a lot of ideas, but I think that the kind of sort of ends there. That this is, feels a lot different than 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 that did, that did in the late 90s.
0: Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I I think. Um... Yeah, I think I can talk a lot about sort of uh, sort of macro things that are different. So one is the technology is just different. Like it's better <laughs> like now. You know, a lot of the promise. I can't even believe how long it's taken for the promise of you know interoperability, um, for example, to, to 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 become a reality. Um, and um, and it's just the tech has it has evolved. Um, so that makes it more reliable. I Meaning we had a lot of great ideas, but not a lot of great execution back then. Also, I think for us anyway, we have a strong, strong um, belief that it has to be married with services. So um, um, you are dealing still with a cottage industry. This is a cottage industry. And what I want the people in this cottage industry to be good at is delivering care. Um, and not have to learn all these other capabilities that are not really um, not really meant to be their core competency. That's what we what we learned at Athena, which is let us do your billing for you. Let us take care of all the stuff that there's literally no reason for you to be good at. We can do it for you. And the comparative advantage is like you need to spend your time on things that are, that are critically important. So I think we're seeing more of an evolution of, of people bringing tech-enabled services to the market and applying it. Um, and then I think we've got some things that aren't great about this this time around, which are the sort of what I'd call apps in wearables um, as though they alone uh, will move the needle or the discussion of AI or, or any of the, or blockchain. So unless those things are in a context that end in, this is how this thing becomes actionable, then we don't, we don't want to hear about it. It's distracting um, because it's a means to no end. It's just, you know, it's just a shiny object if it's not in the context of here's how we intervene. Here's how we detect something through AI, intervene in a workflow, and then take action and make a difference.
1: So, have you found any companies that uh, that uh, either have apps or or involve include AI or have some other sort of hot technology, blockchain that have worked for you? That have that complete answer, or are they all falling a little bit short these days?
0: Well, they don't need to have all those included, um, but yeah. So, I, I all of our just about all of our companies that are we have a lot of payer facing companies. And they start with uh, some kind of population analytics, so if it's aspire trying to find the right patients that belong into their into their um in their um, program, we have village m d, which is um, a company that's focused on population management, and it's got to start by identification of patients and um, they are all using analytics, in um, some cases AI to both detect patterns, because there's two parts of this finding the patients, and then figuring out what the right intervention is and not wasting interventions on people where uh, it's not going to really net you any any improvements. So I all of our companies are using analytics, in some cases, AI, and then and then taking those learnings and putting them right in into the workflow. So um, that's all part of how you get to uh, operational scale and margin. Right? Just to, And so we've had companies who started off in their process doing um, six things for every patient, just for, um, to make an example here. And then through, um, through analytics and AI, we're able to isolate three of the six and then only do three because those are the ones making the difference. And that's the kind of sort of uh, analytics capability we need applied so that we can Reduce the expense of managing these patients and get to the same outcome with less expense does
1: that makes sense that does no, that's that 's a, a great thesis and uh, look forward to, to seeing what you 're doing i 'm glad you found your your the job you 'll have for the uh, remainder of your career it 's exciting to be doing what you 're doing where you 're doing it at this time there 's so much going on
0: very exciting i um, i'm very i 'm very fortunate
1: excellent well, thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast and I uh, look forward to seeing you. Uh, at a future Digital Health Innovation Summit.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this week's Breaking Health Podcast. Thanks also to everyone who is subscribed to the Breaking Health Podcast. If you haven't done so, please do. We'll send future podcasts directly to your listening device. We appreciate it. Also, if you give us some rankings on uh, on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast, that helps folks find the podcast of course, tell your friends. Let them know what we're discussing here on the Breaking Health Podcast if you're enjoying it. No doubt they will too. Finally, reach out to me directly. I'm on Twitter. You can be reached at MedTechTom. That is at MedTechTom. You can also find me the old-fashioned way on email, Tom at That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy is the producer of this and many other fine podcasts and great events like the upcoming Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th in Boston. Please register for that sooner rather than later. This one does sell out. Go to dhis.net to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. You'll join us in Boston, my hometown.